Hello folks, welcome back to the RLS podcast. We are on episode 77, double check that this time just to make sure. Um, and we are here with Paul Brand. How are you getting on, Paul? I'm good. How are you? I'm not bad, mate. I'm not bad. It's a different time for me to record a podcast. I've never really done one on a, on a Saturday morning for a while, so it was a bit strange setting this up this morning, but um, it's good. We're, we're going to get this set up and going for, for next week's podcast released on Wednesday. Um, yeah, what's what's going on today? What are you up to? So, uh, yeah, the reason we're able to do this at quarter past nine on a Saturday morning is uh, I'm at work, but the train, well, we'll come on to my job, obviously, but yeah, the, the training ground's quiet. The lads are uh, down in London playing against Tottenham today, so um, got a little bit of freedom um, and a bit of space this morning um, to, to to chat to you. Yeah, good man. That's a, is a huge fixture, by the way. I think it'll be very well watched tonight. I'm really yeah. enjoying the the half five game and then an eight o'clock game. There's going to be a lot of people out in the boozer watching those. Um, but yeah, um, mate. I suppose like to start off with, uh, you always need to do this in a podcast. It's it's about diving into like like who who actually are you? Like why are you on the podcast? How do I know you? <laughs> yeah. um, and actually, to be fair, I didn't really know you, and probably until about six months ago. Um, I only only heard your name through Kreitz and through various other people. Yeah, so um, for for born and bred, um, all the way up until I was twenty, um, and then sort of dropped everything in for for kind of on the, in a, in a in a very very quick moment to to move down to England to sort of pursue this career that I'm in of uh, working in performance analysis within football. Um, in terms of my upbringing. Pretty yeah, pretty normal for a town like Forfar sort of thing. Um, usual primary school uh, sort of upbringing, playing football in the park, having lots of friends that live locally, and then obviously you go to to the Forfar Academy, and uh, everything branches out a little bit. But as you know, sort of growing up in Forfar, it's all quite sort of contained to Forfar, and your your experiences don't really lend you to like living in a big city or that like the biggest thing we sort of travel to is Dundee and all that sort of stuff so I did get a bit of exposure to sort of things outside of like Angus and Tayside uh, through family members kind of working and playing football and all that sort of stuff so I used to go to a lot of football matches growing up and I think that was probably I did see you know success in football from a modest place and I think that's one of my sort of key things that um, that yeah, we'll, I'm sure we'll come on to it, but sort of uh, led me to to have a bit of an ambition to to do something in football. Um, but yeah, for for born and bed, proud of it. Love coming back up the road. Obviously, still got loads of mates up there, and uh, yeah, can't get enough of it. To be fair, when I come home, yeah, class mate. And I was going to ask you, did your actual personal football career go expand to any distance? I did watch you play football a few weeks ago, so I'll um, I'm not. <laughs> Um, nah, not not really. I was I was so passionate about it. Like, that's one thing that I, I kind of don't know. I think that's always been in me. Like, um, really, really, really motivated to win and give everything and be the best I can be. Um, like was all was like dead loyal to like four for boys when I was younger. Played from when I was seven through to like sixteen, seventeen. Played for four for Albion's under seventeens. We were, I think. And then dabbled a little bit in the amateur scene, a few kind of appearances here and there, uh, and then ended up joining Kerry Thistle. Um, and was 
basically a substitute, to be honest. <laughs> I didn't really hold down a, a sort of starting place. Um, but I was also kind of entering into uni. And yeah, I, I, I kind of wasn't there that long. I was still, when looking back, I was still a youngster, really. And I think, like, had I had I stayed in Forfar and that, I'm, I'm pretty sure I would have made a decent junior career, to be fair. Um, n- yeah, not not amazing technically and all that sort of stuff, but a bit of an all-rounder, good work rate, uh, hard-working, but determined and in 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 absolutely, like, big winning mentality, like, really passionate about winning, taking it serious. I don't know. That maybe that even came across last week. I was I was buzzing when we scored a last minute penalty in the in the little semi final that we had, um, and I was a bit gutted that we didn't we didn't win it. Um, but yeah, I was just I was just really really passionate. I remember like being uh, like having like cup finals for and and sort of league deciders for four for boys and being super like just could not think of anything else going into the going into the week. Um, it would like properly dominate my thoughts and that and yeah, just just uh, a bit extreme I think. Yeah, I think that's football for you, mate. Like, I, I suppose a lot of people that perhaps don't then go and make like a career out of it in terms of playing or, or they're playing every single week will find a way of making it happen in their life, be it like with a job like you do or just having a season ticket or being involved in a football club some way, shape or form. Like, it's it's an all-consuming thing and um, so many people in this country just are consumed by it and you wouldn't have it any other way. Um, so am I right in saying that you went to, you went to Aberty? Yeah, um, so kind of was going through through uh, high school and sort of um, yeah, fairly. I, I was I was I was quite smart, but not very academic sort of thing. Um, and went through, did like PE, um, bit of computing, a bit of accounting, and finance. I was quite into like numbers and working things out that way, um, which actually lent itself pretty well to the job in the end. Um, went to. Aberty University to take up a sports coaching and development degree. It was pretty convenient to be honest. Uh, living it, still able to live in for uh, go to Dundee, not really committing to anything. Um, but also, I was still quite passionate about being around my friends and um, and playing football. So I didn't really go into that knowing what I wanted to do. Sort of had a loose idea about being a PE teacher or something like that, but. Anytime I was sort of thinking about football, I was like, I would just take any job in football, like an admin assistant typing up fixtures or something like that. I would have, I would have done anything to be honest, just to work in the football space. But as you know, there's not that many. I mean, it, it's grown now, but this was 15 years ago, and there wasn't that many sort of. Uh, there wasn't, there wasn't loads of jobs in football really. You like your your football clubs were basically, you know, your manager, your coach or two, your single physio, your part time doctor, your part-time fitness coach even probably you know quite high up into the into the professional leagues if you know what I mean so there wasn't a wealth of jobs there wasn't I don't think in Scotland probably any video analysts or it was very 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 primitive maybe a handful so it wasn't really a thing so um yeah went to Aberty um and a sort of big part of my story was being exposed to performance analysis module I think in second year at uni which at the time, flashed up a, a job advert for Man City, actually, um, which was like stated the salary and kind of listed what the role was. And I was like, oh, that actually sounds like a perfect job for me. You didn't really need to be like overly smart. You could sort of get in with a sort of foundation degree as such and uh, working with computers, working with video data, 
working with coaches on a on a football level. So it's not like if you're a physio, you've got to have a this excellent knowledge about the body and all this sort of stuff, or even sports science to a degree in terms of like how nutrition works or how muscles are built and all that sort of stuff. This was all I, I viewed I viewed this sort of role as like something that was achievable because I was I was really interested in football. I had a sort of wider interest other than just being a fan. How does it work? How do coach how does coaching work? Uh, management as well um and this like plugs right into that without necessarily the need for a for a degree so yeah sort of set out in in pursuing that um and i know it's a long answer but basically as part of that uh, university uh module we got the opportunity to work at hibs football club not for hibs but for a, a sort of external provider that was working on a like a data project um, and it meant us working at Easter Road on a on a match day and then going the following day to recode the game. And there was eight of us. And basically, I managed to sort of stand out in, in those eight. This part-time job lasted about a year. But the crucial bit for me was that I kept that contact of the person that ran that. And he was quite a experienced person in the world of football and especially in the sort of support services aspect with regards to like sports science, GPS, performance analysis. And it was through him that I ended up sort of getting a an opportunity to to move down to England. Yeah, I think that that message is pretty good there, mate. Because I know for a fact, like having done like little surveys myself with this, there's a lot of uni students that actually like listen to this podcast and kind of engage with my content and and things like that. And I remember my mindset going into uni was like, right, I don't want to do like a like a normal nine to five. Like I want to do something that involves football and just had tunnel vision. It was football or sport or personal training, that sort of thing. But I wanted to incorporate the whole load of them. So that was just kind of what drove me. And I was like, right, I'm going to find something that fits. So obviously went into the strength and conditioning realm. Um, and kind of like you said, like, it's a very hard place to get into. And it's it's not like, I mean, in the nicest way possible, like, I don't think up here, especially, there's it's very well paid um, in general. So like, it, it definitely drove me to help find where I am where I've, where I've gotten to today and that's why I incorporate like the football side of things within my within my coaching and I think a lot of people do that as well and um obviously going down like the path that you went like trying to get your head in the door places is is massive and it's a massive thing to take away if you don't actually actively seek out things they're not going to come and jump into your face um so it was then it was then on to was it Blackburn was, was that for a few years before you then got the gig that you've got now yeah, so um, I think that's a good, that's a big point that you make actually, and that's where I I've been lucky. Um, I was lucky. The crucial bit that I was lucky with was that when um, one of my one of my lecturers at university, um, a guy called Grant Small, he was a part time analyst for Hibs, and I mean it's a it's such a yeah long shot to to have this connection, but he. He was at Hibs when this data company decided to uh, partner with Hibs to trial this this sort of product. So I mean, for the the sort of the, the I'm not I'm not very like spiritual and all that sort of stuff, but for the stars to align for this company to come into Hibs to have a connection to a university lecturer for that university lecturer to pick out sort of me and my seven mates. And then, you know, for that to be my window of opportunity into a into a professional club was a massive, massive stroke of luck. But the one thing I will sort of admit and that I am proud of is that I I sort of gave that everything. And I actually didn't like consciously like work too hard and like try like try to dominate, but I was 
the, the the system that we were working with was like going through problems and I was like I was just sort of taking responsibility and that's one of my things sort of anyway like leader sort of leading from the front and sort of yeah problem solving in a in a quick way and I think at that point I probably did recognize that there would be potential opportunities out of this whereas some of the other lads it was it was just a money maker or it was a bit of fun or it was a chance to go and see some SPL football on a on a on a Saturday and have something on the CV, which it was, but a part-time job not actually working with a team isn't isn't much. It was the it was that connection that came through the uh came through that sort of perseverance and, and me sort of understanding that. Then the guy who was sort of the yeah impressed as such, he kept he basically when that when that finished said, look, I've I've been really impressed by you. Um I think you could make a career out of this. What are you looking to do? Blah, blah, blah. I said, look, I'm still at uni, about to go into uh, fourth year. Um, but if anything comes up, please give me a shout because I'd love to work in football. Um, and at that point, he was sort of, he was entering the GPS game and that was just as GPS was becoming big. So he was kind of like saying, well, I, you know, I think I could put you into a club as a GPS analyst or something like that, analyzing the data from the, the uh the training analysis on and match analysis um but the that company had actually employed a guy at Hibs who had then gone on to Blackburn to work under Paul Ince and Archie Knox who ironically is a, a local guy to Angus as well um so he was looking for an assistant because he was on his own at Blackburn so this is a Premier League club with one analyst um he was looking for an assistant somebody to help boost the service, also look after the reserves. Um, and I got a bit of a heads up about this, maybe like November, December 2008, and then just got a phone call one day in the morning on like the 23rd of December saying um, that this opportunity is here if you want it, but you're going to have to come down now. And it was just as Sam Allardyce had been appointed as Blackburn manager after Paul Ince got sacked, so I don't know if that opened up something, but... Um, this was like two days before Christmas and I had like a shift at McDonald's that night and I was like, <laughs> I'm going to have to go for this. So it was just mad, like rang, rang McDonald's, rang my, rang my boss and was like, I'm really sorry, but I'm not going to be able to come in tonight and I don't think I'm going to be back. <laughs> um, like what, like what's going on? Uh, drove down to Blackburn, stayed in a hotel, was at the training ground Christmas Eve, just launched into this environment, meeting Sam Allardyce, obviously around the players, just like, yeah, had never been to a Premier League game, never seen Premier League players in, in the flesh before. So it was just mad. Um, and yeah, sort of a bit of a kind of rest is history sort of uh, sentiment with it, to be fair. Um, the first 15 months or so, I was like working as like the number two, working with the reserves, working with the first team, started traveling to first team games, working home matches. Um, and then the guy uh, above me uh, got let go and they had a decision to make whether or not to basically make me head of department or not. And yeah, it was quite a big moment actually looking back. They, they, I, I always felt confident because I could see a lot that I felt was going wrong. Even though when I look back, I was obviously hugely inexperienced. Um, but I was confident there was a lot of things that I could correct um, from a process point of view and an organization point of view. And I said, I was just honest. I was like, look, I, I really want to do it. I'll give it absolutely everything. Uh, I know there'll be better candidates out there or more experienced candidates, but you know, I you guys know me, you know me well enough by now, you know what you'll get. Um, and the manager 
I found out later Sam Allardyce had actually asked like a psychologist guy that he had working with us to ask me these questions and he was happy with the answers basically and he sort of promoted me to head of department when I was just turned 22 uh, and then we started building the department and we ended up getting up to four or five members of staff uh, worked in the Premier League for a few seasons with them and then we, we got relegated had a had a, a year in the championship which was good um, yeah and then summer of 2013 got a bit of a heads up about a job coming up at Man United because I'd, I'd sort of gotten to know the Man United analyst a little bit um, heard that this could be happening and was sort of on the cards um, and yeah it was the same time as Sir Alex was retiring from Man United so I was like there was a period where I thought I might get the job and I might get a chance to work under Sir Alex and all that stuff which is just literally like dream stuff um, as it turned out um, yeah I ended up interviewing for the for the role of basically lead analyst senior analyst at United uh, that summer after Sir Alex had retired and yeah managed was successful in the sort of job and got given the job and it was uh it was yeah when the club sort of changed from the Sir Alex era through so yeah I've sort of been at the forefront of it since then how many years has that been now so this is me going into my 11th season so it's been 10 I've done 10 full seasons so yeah, yeah. I had, had a many many internal celebration this summer <laughs> sort of acknowledging it, it was, and it and it's good it's something something to be proud of like I was a United fan growing up um and yeah, it's obviously it is a bit of like a sort of achieve my dream sort of thing. And yeah, I continued to sort of push everything for the last sort of 10, 11 years. So yeah. Yeah, I think that the thing that was going through my head constantly was there was like, I think you'd mentioned something about luck with a couple of these different things. And you can obviously account luck to certain things as well, but I always see luck as like this, this kind of like open window that you, you pass by and you can you can jump through it if you want, or you can just walk by it and and not take that opportunity. And I think that's kind of what I'm hearing like, for all these different opportunities that you've taken is like you've actually just went well screw it I'm, I'm diving into that window and I'm taking the opportunity because it's uh, um, luck is luck, luck is luck but it's also you need to take opportunity with it as well and um, yeah I suppose like the thing that all kind of like football nerds and that are a little bit interested in is like what this actual role entails and what it involves and I know it, it has evolved over the years for sure just I mean, only based on my kind of very small knowledge of the topic from doing the same thing at uni. Um, but yeah, how has it evolved and what does it involve? Yeah, so I'm I'm head of performance analysis at United, and I've been sort of the lead analyst, senior analyst through the years. But I've I, that that's like my title now. So I'm essentially responsible for the performance analysis services across the club, but especially first team. I've got a sort of a. a an aspect of a management link across the women's team in the academy as well. Um, essentially, what we do is support the manager, the coaching staff and the players with information, essentially. Um, that can be information on the opposition. That can be information from training, uh, information from our own matches. Um, so that's the kind of three main, main categories. And when I started out, we were we were sort of like information processors, I would say, like we were sort of trans, We how, how the industry evolved was that uh, there was a, a company called Prozone, which you may be aware of. They were the first company to basically install cameras around the stadium that, uh, that uh, tracked the players' movements and that. So it was generating this unique data that essentially was telling you how hard a player worked. And I'm using uh, uh, inverted commas on that one. Um, but 
what what a player had done physically in a game. Um, obviously they were also coding and calculating all the all the um, technical events in the game, number of passes, the shots, crosses, success rates, all this sort of stuff. So basically, it was it was really good. Prozone created this product where they were capturing unique data and they were uh, coding the game in a way that it was delivered as a package to be analysed. And it was a it was a reference point as to what players and what teams had done. That's moved on and that's not really so much of a thing now. But what happened at that point was that you needed people, analysts, to interpret that data and be the link between this product that they felt like they needed and they were spending tens of thousands of pounds on. They needed somebody to to translate that. They needed somebody to say, he's done 11K. Is that good or is that bad? Well, it's actually it's 10% above his, his average, but actually the game was 20% above our average so in really whatever, do you know what I mean? Um, and you're essentially analyzing all this all this data from this product. So that's what happened when I went in. But what happened was as coaching staffs grew and as especially the access to video and especially tactical footage grew, the coaches started needing people, analysts, staff to clip video, analyze video. Um, and it sort of moved away a little bit from the data and from the um sort of this, this one stop shop product that was your analysis and what's basically happened now in my opinion in short is that we as analysts have become more like coaches assistants now mm-hmm. so we have to know football from a coaching perspective we have to understand the manager and the coach's philosophies on things what they think is good and bad what they want what they don't want what they want to know from the opposition um in terms of how that's going to affect their sort of planning their training their yeah their game planning um and that's how it, that's how it's evolved really so we've you know you used to basically have one prozone analyst in every club when a club signed up to use prozone now across the premier league you're probably looking at an average of four five analysts per per first team and most academies have got the same amount and women's teams have got one two or three now um, so it's evolving. It's evolving everywhere. I mean, we've got around fifteen, I think, full-time analysts at the club now, um, all with their own sort of like areas of specific responsibility. And within the first team, especially, for example, I'm head of department. Um, I spent a lot of my years, especially doing opposition analysis. But we've got a sort of lead pre-match slash opposition analyst now. We've got a lead uh, post-match analyst who's responsible for analysing us and how we play. Um, and uh, our players' development. We've got a specialist set play analyst, and then we've got two assistant analysts. Um, and those assistant analysts aren't as responsible for interfacing with the coaching staff, but the service is so deep as such that we need analysts that like can film training, code training, pass that on, um, do things like profiling the opposition squads, um, penalty analysis as you know goes on so it runs it runs pretty deep yeah it's 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 definitely come on over the years like i even see um some of the perhaps not the junior teams but there's a lot of teams now like dabbling with bringing in like say for example college uni students to give this a bash like if they're wanting to do something like this with their career come and do it for us do it for free and see how you get on and like there's just so much more involved in this like right down like i've maybe not been exposed to it loads of times but Mm. I have seen people come into some of my junior clubs and like do a little bit of this and it's it's pretty cool like the 
the the data and the things that you can actually get from this. I mean, everyone's got a VO camera now. Like you yeah. can watch your games back as a junior footballer for the first time and forever. Yeah, and that's amazing. pretty scary to be fair sometimes when you watch yourself <laughs> back and you realise how far actually off you are the standard of the football that you watch on the uh, that that's actually yeah. There's there's two things I'd add to that actually is one, this has all been led by an evolution of coaching. Actually, yes, you've got people like me who work in that space and sort of push things, but actually, it's a, it's a consequence of managers embracing the technology and becoming smarter. Um, it's a the the ceiling's been raised so far because of social media and online resource because you've now got generations almost two generations of coaches beyond the Ferguson, Mourinho-type age. Um, Guardiola's one's probably like the first generation of that, really, where you've got this generation of coaches that are exposed to the sharing of those resources, if you know what I mean, and that that exposure to like different styles, and it's at, it's at your fingertips. Like that, that stuff used to have to come from coaching courses or used to have to come from you seeing a certain team play a certain way, but there wasn't sharing the footage, there wasn't detailed TV analysis really. So that's um that's one thing on that. And I mean the exposure that you're getting at, at junior level in that is also because students who want to get into it, and this is always one piece of advice that I give, is they need to start somewhere and they need to learn and they need to gain some experience. So it's not easy to get into a, a Dundee or a Dundee United or I don't know, maybe even a four for athletic. So where's your where's your where's your guaranteed entry entry point? Well, it might be at a junior club where they don't film the game, or if they do film the game, it's just to put a couple of goals on social media. Well, what happens if you get that video and you've got a cheap software and you can clip a few coaching points? And again, it comes from the manager and the and the coaching staff to allow that. But it's yeah, you're right. It's 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 trickling down. Yeah, so the game is is very much evolving. We can all see that with the, the different coaches coming into the game, the younger coaches and and all that sort of stuff. Um, but yeah, I suppose I wanted to kind of drive away from the the technical side of things now and more the um, I suppose the the psychological side of things into what like actually drives you to keep going. Because as much as it may seem like quite a a title to put on anyone, like it's like it is a, a high performance job and it is a job that you you don't just work at Man United if you kind of settle for like basic standards you like you want to push the club forward as a fan as well so what what does motivate you what drives you forward yeah you're right actually it's it's funny and it's a bit i i cringe a little bit because it sounds a bit cheesy but you are you are right i do have that as a as a factor of motivation like i feel like i well certainly over the years and still do have actually an element of control to it to a small percentage um of Man United's fortunes, like that is a thing. Do you know what I mean? And and my sort of control is essentially, you know, allowing our extremely talented and skilled managers and coaching staffs and players do their job to the best of their ability. It's not it's not me having an impact on the game because of my skills. It's it's our facilitation really of of uh, of what the job does. Um, yeah, I think I think yeah, there's a lot of parts that like. I, the Man United bit especially is obviously like that is pretty much ingrained in me. Like, as I say, grew up, I think my first kit was when I was like seven or something, 95. Um, and it that that's that's a big part of it that I've sort of managed to achieve a job at United, but especially like what would be my dream job. And again, I know that sounds cheesy, but it's, it's true. Um, 
So there's a big aspect of me not wanting to let that go, if you know what I mean. One, because it's so prestigious, but two, because I've worked ridiculously hard and I've been to an element, as you say, like lucky with it. Um, so, yeah, and, it, and it's, I don't know, I think it's, I I don't know. I think I'm just I think I'm just proud of um kind of where I've got to with it and my natural skill set and and sort of mentality lends itself really well to this this job and this career. Um, the drive I think I've like I've transitioned to to a degree that like obviously once I had the goal of sort of one day hopefully being at Man United, then you have sort of goals around winning trophies or being a part of winning trophies and stuff like that which I've been fortunate to be a part of some of that stuff. <clears throat> I've also, one of the big things that I've, um, especially with the Ole Gunnar Solskjaer reign, uh, with like Michael Carrick as an assistant coach, Kieran McKenna, Dan Fletcher coming into that, um, I had the ability to work for what I would call the the real Man United. And obviously we've had like a turbulent few years with, you know, Van Hal, Moyes, Mourinho, um, characters who were amazing to work for and with but that represented the true Man United so me missing out on sort of um, the sort of Sir Alex days and being so close to that literally coming in as he as he went that was a big thing for me that I feel like I wanted to achieve and, and that that was really substantial like that group was was incredible um, and I absolutely loved that time and I actually said during that time because I was given so much whilst starting a family still traveling, still picking up the phone late at night, going in first thing in the morning, going on tour for two and a half, three weeks at a time. Um, I did say to my wife, like, I, I think this will be the last one that I can I can really do. Whether that means me having a different role within the department that means not traveling like I'm doing now or stepping into another role at the club or even elsewhere, that was something that I sort of went through um, last summer and, and last winter really, well, from last winter, Two winters ago, sorry. So yeah, um, I think it. I think now it's just the motivation to to stay to stay at the top and and keep um, keep pushing things. And I am still definitely driven. I think anyone that sort of works with me, or even my friends and and people that spend time with me, I think when when you get onto the conversation of football and and the club and all that sort of stuff, you probably feel it. Um, and also, there's an element now of me wanting my family to to feel what. I've achieved sort of thing and what they're exposed to. I mean, it's it's nuts the stuff that my eldest Freddie's been exposed to already and the exposure he's had and met, meeting the players and traveling to Wembley, being like two cup finals at Wembley last year. That's that's probably well, it's definitely one of my biggest motivators now for him and Rory and my friends as well to 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 experience the club and the special days and nights, as you mentioned, Rory earlier, like he's got part-time season ticket now through me um coming down at games which is class uh but that that's I really get a kick out of all that stuff um and especially especially when Rory gets bigger as well like the thought of taking my two boys to Old Trafford and them having like virtually a season ticket at Old Trafford which again is almost unattainable these days um is something that really motivates me yeah I suppose that was kind of like my my question that was going to be within that is like obviously you've got all your motivators in terms of what actually happens at your work but then you've got you've now got the addition of like your your kids and your family and that's that's one thing that you probably didn't know would motivate you until you had your kids and now it's like a massive driver getting them into into Man United and being fans and like how many games is the is the eldest been to now 
So Freddie's been, I think he's been about maybe six or seven. Um, yeah, he's uh, he's he's hassling me to go to an away game, and we live in Burnley, so I'm gonna take him to Burnley away, which is uh, I've been in that away end a few times, and it is an eye opener. Like <laughs> you, everybody knows their away ends and uh, and what they're like, so it'll be good for him to to experience that. But yeah, I took him to the to the Wolves game on on Monday night, and. Uh, yeah, just like even that, like where we sit with our season tickets, it's near the tunnel and that's usually where the, the players come and celebrate. So it's not the greatest view for watching the game, especially for me from like a, a tactical point of view, but to have the players like rush into that corner and, and stuff like that. I was There was a photo, I don't know if you've seen it, but I put it on, on Instagram, like there was a photo of us celebrating in the corner as the lads were in front of us and stuff like that. And just seeing it from that perspective and, and that was, again, made me quite, quite proud and, and and satisfied if you know what I mean um so yeah he as I say got like hospitality treatment at Wembley last year for two cup finals and that and that stuff's just ridiculous like I'm always so aware of how how lucky that is and how privileged we are to to have that but I know it does come from the sort of hard work and the dedication so yeah we will definitely take it <laughs> yeah totally pinch yourself stuff sometimes with uh obviously just the club that you support um so yeah, mate. I suppose we're kind of coming to the to the actual the page change. Um, so in terms of this is probably kind of like one of the last little points that I wanted to make. Um, so over the years, I know there's been a lot of kind of like plate spinning, a lot of time committed to the club. How have you how have you found that you've been able to spin those plates, and how have you been able to kind of dedicate time to the club, to yourself, to the family? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely not been not been easy. Um, it's been very, very strained at times. And, you know, you go through over over those 10, 11 years at the club, even Blackburn before that, but especially the club now, because you're dealing with European football in a lot of midweek games, your base schedule is that you've got two games a week, obviously. So it's really challenging from that perspective. The first thing I'd say is Danielle, my wife, has been like hugely supportive and, and hugely understanding of it. Um, and knowing that it is a career that, you know, once... I've sort of, we sort of went on a journey of like needing to build the department. So when I started, we only had two uh, in the department. Now we've got six full time. Everyone's experienced. Uh, that is a byproduct of how it's grown, but also how I've wanted to grow it, if you know what I mean. Um, but that's been a bit of a goal, obviously, to recruit enough staff that the staff can have normal normal as, as, as possible lives um, in terms of being able to feel like they've got a good enough balance uh, whilst being able to travel and stuff like that um i think the, the the big pressure really came when we had kids because obviously you're still before kids you're you're still spending enough time together i would say not great and i've missed like friends weddings um events things like that not being able to even not even being able to play football for the last 15 years as part of a club's been like a, a huge thing i've missed um but as as we had kids, it was like, right, we need to really make a plan now to to how I'm gonna manage this balance. Um and she and as I, that's why I mentioned the sort of social reign, because I felt like that was the last thing that I wanted to kind of achieve, if you know what I mean, in terms of like working with that group of people and being at the forefront of a of a staff that really, really valued you like to the maximum and sort of really trusted you. And it coincided with my experience growing and skill and all that sort of stuff. Um I think now it's now it's trying to compartmentalize my day, to be honest. It's like trying to get to work and say that like 
yeah, driving in six till seven, work from whatever, half seven till five, whatever it might be. And then switching off when I'm, when I'm at home and giving the kids and, and Danielle the attention. Um, I, I have, I have managed to really step away from sort of doing work through the night and that even to the point that I'll try and not, if I, if it's not necessary, sort of, uh, watch football and, and, and sort of give Danielle that balance and some of that time back and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, it's a nice excuse now having a little boy who's into football so we can stick the football. On. <laughs> um, but no, nah, it's, it's all good. We we are achieving it. And the biggest thing for me was stepping away from traveling now. So as I say, days like this, like last night, I wouldn't have been at home, for example. Um, you know, I would have been in the hotel, then half five game in London. You don't leave London till whatever, eight o'clock and you're not back home till 11 o'clock. And it's essentially two nights and, Whereas I'll be at home now those those two nights and those couple of hours every night is is a big deal. Do you know what I mean? So, um, yeah, she's been hugely supportive of it. Um, but it's it's been tough, and I ca I can't really say there's been great strategies for it to be honest, because I have sort of just thrown myself into it and immersed myself. But I think it's I think it's been having the awareness and being being fair to to Danielle and and other people, family, friends, and that as well. You know. Yeah, I think there's a message that kind of goes through my head with this one as well. And I always imagine like with balance, like it's not it's not just like you don't just get like balance on a on a on a straight line. It's very much like you get pulled in one direction and then it's having the awareness, as you've just said, to pull yourself back into the green zone. And it's like you'll always dip into that and that's gonna happen for a week, for a month, for a weekend, or maybe even for as a six month block of work that we're gonna need to do and it's gonna be important. Um and it's that communication with like partners, family, friends. And good people around you will understand, but they'll also tell you when you're taking it too far. And I think that's crucial. Yeah, no, nah, absolutely. No, you're right. Um, so, yeah, a little quick fire. Um, I've obviously not told you these questions, but they're very much football related because that's what we're interested in. <laughs> Favourite game you've ever attended? Oh, uh, I think in terms of from a work point of view, I've been so lucky to be like the amount of stadiums and matches being involved in, but the I think the most special one was probably the FA Cup final in 2016, um, when we won that that first proper trophy, um, and it was a obviously a, a serious one being the FA Cup and sort of having that experience of being at Wembley on the pitch and and celebrating with the the staff and the players and the after party and all that sort of stuff. That was a that was a real special one. Class. Um, favorite goal you've ever seen live. Uh, I think it's always the ones that it's always the ones that are the most important really um, I, I'm going to say we, uh, you'll probably remember the game so a couple of years ago we played Paris Saint-Germain away in the Champions League and it was mad we lost the first leg 2-0 uh, I think it was 2-0 at Old Trafford Um we were in quite a good place and then we had like mental injuries and we, we went to um, the Parc de Prance and we sort of did a, like a, a bit of a unique, uh, we, we one of the coaches had an idea about changing the defensive setup and plan and all that. And we had this kind of unique game plan to try and accommodate the injuries we had. And we had a young team and a really young bench. No hope, honestly, like we were, there's, there's very little, like I'm as optimistic as it gets around Man United games and all that sort of stuff, but no hope going into that. And we scored early-ish two goals, and it was two-one. And then I don't know if you remember, uh, Diogo Dallo had this wild shot that was like going, going. It looked like it was going over and wide. Um, 
dubious handball. Well, it's a handball, but whatever. It's it's a very, very, very harsh one. And then, then this was like just as VAR was getting introduced, and you had this long, like five minute wait on the gantry where we were like just we just couldn't believe it. Just could not believe that we could win this match and go into the quarterfinal. Um, and then Rashford steps up, and it's like Rashford. You know, the, the 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 group of players that were on the pitch at that time was such a mix of kind of old and old and young. Um, and it was just that was a, just an incredible like euphoric moment in terms of a goal being there. And like we're when we when we're at the match, we're like next to the opposition's analyst team quite a lot of the time. And they, they just couldn't believe it and they were like raging and all that sort of stuff. It just all adds to the sort of the the sensitivity of it. So yeah. I know yeah. this is gonna be quick fire, by the way. I am oh, aware, but <laughs> I, I feel like I need to relive it and explain it. That was a good a very good penalty. Um a couple of different ones then. Fav- favorite holiday destination. Uh, I've gravitated towards Turkey over the years. I think like climate wise and the people are great and and the food tends to be great and that. So I'd have to say I'd have to say Turkey. And this one maybe takes a little bit more thought. Death row meal, like just like just one meal, one one thing. You didn't have to go start or main and dessert. <laughs> uh, it's got to be a, it's got to be a big Chinese. And a shout out to Wing Lee's back in the day. Yeah, that's an important <laughs> on that one, I think. Yeah. Um, but no, mate, that's that's pretty much us. Um, no more questions. And yeah, mate, thank you for coming on to the podcast and giving me a, a little bit of your time. Um, what's uh, on today? You're welcome. Yeah. Now I've, I've enjoyed uh, I've enjoyed seeing your stuff in that. To be fair, and and big shout out to what you're doing, and that's been a big part of why I've wanted to sort of speak to you to give give you that sort of different exposure today. To be fair, because I think the stuff you're doing is great. Um. As far as today goes, it's uh, a bit of continued work on our opponent next week, Nottingham Forest, and then we play at half past five. So I'll get home and, and watch that watch that with the family. Um, so yeah, good mate. Um, I can do your opposite. I can do your anal- analyst analysis for you there. Just play on Scotty McKenna. <laughs> I know. Well, that that's actually that's actually a, a good way to end this. To be fair, because when uh, Scott came to train with us when when I was at. Kerry Thistle and we knew like he was obviously part of Aberdeen at that point and it is just mad how how things like work out like to think you've kind of got like next week at Old Trafford me and Scott I've not actually seen him since he's since he sort of progressed into that professional career but I'll have to try and find him uh next week but yeah mad to think like you got like two boys sort of that were uh training at, at Westview on a like miserable Wednesday night up on that hill sort of thing that are are now like working sort of together slash against each other at, yeah. at Old Trafford. So he's yeah, done well for himself. But no, mate, that's uh, that's perfect. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you for coming on. Cheers, Ryan. Thanks, mate.